Thank you. Thanks so much. And uh, man, I feel old now. Think old, think old, not feel old. Well, I'm grateful to be here, and I'm grateful to be able to spend a day with you folks. Stroh asked me to come down and spend a day talking about technology, uh, what we do at the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, if you're unfamiliar with us, and you probably are, is for 30 years we have worked to try to help, to work hard to help people like you, parents of children and teenagers, grandparents, youth workers, pastors, anybody who cares about, loves kids, wants to see them come to faith and follow Jesus. We've worked to help you understand this rapidly changing youth culture. And as we've done that, we've monumental change over the years and one of the aspects of youth culture that I was not talking about 30 years ago because it didn't exist um, Al Gore hadn't invented the internet yet and <laughs> technology we just weren't talking about that because it wasn't an issue I mean the most advanced technology people had at that point in time was a phone that was wired into the wall and you had to dial it. Maybe you've seen what our kids have to deal with today when you put a phone in front of them, that viral YouTube video of those two boys who were given a rotary phone by their parents and it took them forever to figure out how to make a phone call or make it work. So we had that, we had cable TV, and we were talking about those things, but no one imagined the landscape we would have now. And I really do think, though, nowhere in the scriptures is there a mention of Steve Jobs, or of Apple, or of iPhones, or of Android, or of computers, you know, by name. The scriptures do speak to these things, and we may have to search deep and search rather wide and be prayerful and think about it, but the scriptures do speak to this. If you have your Bible, turn to a very obscure passage, and I asked Pastor if he'd ever preached on this, and he said, I think not. I don't think I ever did. But a, a verse I want to look at in 1 Chronicles 12, buried back there in the history of the Old Testament, in a section of the scriptures that, much like when you go to the New Testament, if you're reading through the Bible, you know, over the course of a year, and I've, I've worked to do this several years, and I always seem to somehow get behind. But the good thing is you can get to passages like genealogies and histories and lists and things that you think, if I skip over this, I can at least catch up by one chapter. And we think these things are unimportant. The fact of the matter is, they are really important. And there's a little obscure verse in here that has worked to challenge me and guide me day by day in my endeavor to understand youth culture and speak to people like you and work with youth workers. It's, it's been helpful to me ever since we began 30 years ago. When you read 1 Chronicles 12, just to get an idea of the context here, we are at a point where the kingdom is going to be liberated and be transferred from Saul to David. And this particular uh, passage talks about this in my Bible at the beginning of uh, chapter 12, 1 Chronicles 12. It says, the mighty men join David. That's the heading. But if you go over a little bit further down in the passage to verse 23... You'll see where it says, 1 Chronicles 12, 23, these are the numbers of the divisions of the armed troops who came to David in Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul over to him according to the word of the Lord. And then what follows are a few verses that you might think these mean nothing. We can skip over those. And then you get down to the end of that paragraph, the start of the next one, verse 38, 
sort of parenthetical here, verse 23 to verse 38. All these men of war arrayed in battle order came to Hebron with a whole heart to make David king over all of Israel. So in between that, 23 and 38, go back to verse 32. And this may seem so obscure and insignificant, but I think there are some marching orders here for us. All scripture is inspired by God. And there's something in this verse that I think speaks to us in our contemporary times as we try to navigate the difficulties of a changing culture, and especially as it relates to technology. We read this in 1 Chronicles 12.32. We read about the men of Issachar. And it doesn't just say men of Issachar. There's a descriptor there who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. They understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And I really believe that just as these men had marching orders back then, we have been given marching orders by God as parents, as pastors, as youth workers, as grandparents, as people who are called, as Paul says in Romans 12, to live counterculturally in our world and do so as an act of worship in gratitude to the God who has saved us and redeemed us. We are called to be people who understand the times, know what it means to live counterculturally, and actually know what the church should do. And this is a battle for all of us because as the times change, again, we go back to the scriptures and we may not see clearly, you know, thus saith the Lord, this is what to do with your iPad or this is what to do with your smartphone, but there are principles there that are helpful for us. Culture's changing and it's changing fast. And I want to talk this morning a little bit about technology, how technology has changed culture and changed us. And as Tim Challies, who's written a great book called The Next Story about faith and family in the digital world, he instructs us, and I believe God calls us to do this, to manage our technology, to control our technology, rather than letting our technology control us. And so I say all this in an introductory way to prepare you for what I'm about to share with you, and that's a little bit of the changes that have taken place in our culture, along with some borders and boundaries that I've really wrestled with in my own life, and they're not complete, but perhaps they'll be helpful to you. That's what I've been asked to talk about this morning, to be like men and women of Issachar and leave here knowing what we should do, at least to start with technology to guide us, and, and in turn, we can turn around and guide the young people that we love. My nephew, uh, Jesse, is a chemistry teacher in Connecticut, high school chemistry teacher, and his wife, Kim, is, I guess she's my niece-in-law, uh, she's a uh, middle school English teacher, and they know that I study youth culture, and from time to time, they'll call me and they'll tell me about something that's happened in the classroom. It's kind of like they use their kids as guinea pigs for me. And there was a great one a couple of years ago in May. They were doing standardized testing across the state of Connecticut with their sixth graders, and they were working in the English classes to issue these standardized tests. You remember those tests, you know, where you'd sit for a week and just fill little dots in and circles and squares with pencil marks, and eventually, usually for me about five minutes into it, I'd stop asking questions and start to create designs and things. And you know, he just hated these things. Well, Kim said, Uncle Walt, we had something happen in class today that was quite interesting. I had the students come in. It was the first day of standardized testing. I sat them all down, my sixth graders, and I said, before you start the test, I want you to take five minutes and read page one very carefully. These are the instructions. You remember this. Don't do anything 
until you read the instructions. And after you've read the instructions, you may begin, but if you have any questions, don't raise your hand. Quietly come up here and just ask me, and I'll give you an answer to help clarify what it is you don't understand. Just five minutes pass, little girl walks up. She looks extremely confused. She's holding that first page of instructions in her hands, and she points down at a word on the page, and she says, Mrs. Quinn, what is this? What does this mean? And she points to this. She says, what is hashtag two pencil? Now, those of you who are older, you sort of get it. And those of you who are younger, you have no idea what we're talking about, why this is funny. You have to be in the middle here to understand this. But this is an example of how technology has changed. You know, you had to use, the instructions said, use a hashtag two pencil, or the scanner won't be able to, the computer won't be able to read what you've written. And there's an example of the difference between generations and how technology has changed our world and even the language that we use. If you go and you look at the dictionary, you'll see that every year they subtract words that are no longer relevant to our world and our language and they'll add words that are now newly relevant. And as I've tr tracked with that over the years, I would say maybe half to 60% of the words that are added are all related to technology. Our world's changing fast. Uh, I've got four kids, they're all adults now. They grew up in a world where technology was emerging, and my youngest son, who's 26, when he was 16, we allowed him to use his own money and get an Xbox. We're still wondering whether that was a good decision or not, uh, as he continues to, as a 26-year-old man, engage with others and play with his Xbox. And when he first got it, he does work, by the way. He is a responsible young adult. When he first got it, and that's not him, you know, he was immersed in this with his buddies, and he said to me one day, he was just curious, you know, Xbox is a great thing, Dad, but what in the world did you do when you were a boy my age? How did you entertain yourself? Well, I said we had a stick. We'd play with a stick, you know, all summer, but he said, now, I know you're joking, but, you know, like, what did you do without video games? And I explained to him it was a wonderful time to be growing up uh, in my family. Some of you remember some of this early technology for gaming that uh, fortunately we don't use anymore. Uh, my mom, after my brothers and I would be fighting, would send us out of the house to go play with a game maybe you find in the shed. This was what we typically found and it would get ugly. We said, Dad, no gaming like electronic gaming. Did you have any of that? And I went back and I started to look at the technology, how the technology has changed. This is actually how I met my wife. Um, <laughs> You know, a, name, a game of Twister there, which some of you who are younger have no idea what a great matchmaker this was. But the electronic games that would just make our minds spin and text, uh, you know, test our dexterity. And I love how retro games are coming back, you know, and young people will play this. I think about this as well. And, and, and I share this with you because you need to, you have to understand the times and how things are changing. You know, electronic gaming, let's just say, for example, football. I know we're in the South here, and you folks are big football fans. We watched pro football up there. I'm from the Philadelphia area, so I'm a big Eagles fan, and I was happy when, you know, Madden 18 had them in there. But I look at this, and I think that our technological world, this is a graphic from a video game. And I just look at how technology has advanced over the years. I think some of you remember that this was cutting edge, football gaming technology. And even before that, that was cutting edge, football technology. But it's changing, and it's changing fast. I think about what our kids now carry around, what we carry around in our hands. 
I was watching, you'll be impressed by this, I was watching the History Channel. Now I'll just undo it all. I was watching Larry the Cable Guy's show on the History Channel a couple of years ago. And Larry would go around and, and, and he would learn about different things. And he, he went to NASA in Houston, Mission Control, where they had landed. They sat in this room, these techno te technological geniuses with all these screens and computers. And in 1969, they sent a man to the moon. It was astounding. I was a kid, 13 years old. It was amazing to watch this. And the, the gentleman from NASA said to Larry, uh, as Larry was amazed, man, this, you used this to land, land a man on the moon. He reached down, and he had a holster, because he's an engineer. He had a holster for his phone. He pulled it out, and he said, Larry, what's amazing is, you know, our kids now carry these around, and this little device here can do infinitely more than all the combined devices in this room. And we think about that. We spend so much time with this. Why is it important for us to think about technology and how our faith relates to technology? Let me show you this. You may find this astounding. I know when I saw it, I've tried this for years. Common Sense Media, about three years ago, released its statistics on how much screen time our kids are engaged in during the course of a day. This is old. This is dated, these numbers. This was three years ago. You see on the left... Our 8 to 12-year-olds, we call them tweens, were engaged with six hours of screen time or daily media use. And this excludes, if you see the fine print there, time spent using media for school or homework. On the right, you see an average of nine years or nine hours uh, a day for 13 to 18-year-olds, our teenagers. Parents, when I would first share this with them, are aghast at this. Now, just think about growth and development and spiritual growth and development there's not a person in this room that is spending six hours a day on average seven days a week 365 days a year with the uh, tweens the eight to twelve year olds they know and love engaged in significant conversation nor is there anyone in this room who i would guess is spending an average of nine hours a day in significant conversation with the teenagers they know and love if we want to nurture them in the truth, we have to spend time with them. And the reality is that the cultural narrative is coming at them in compelling, pervasive, very attractive, convincing ways through these screens, 15 square inches of glass in the six to nine, and with these things each day. Now, you may scratch your head and say, well, this, that's, that's a curious, and you may be convinced we have to talk to our kids about how to engage with technology to the glory of God. But let me give you one more statistic, because lest you think it's just your kids we need to be concerned about, a year later, Common Sense Media released the data on us as adults. And our media use per day, on average, is nine hours and 15 minutes. One of the greatest complaints that children and teenagers have about us as adults in today's world is my parents and the adults in my life aren't paying attention to me, and they will add to that because they have their faces buried screens in their phones. And so we need to think Christianly about this. I would, I would say this, that all of us need to... ...is a good gift from God. And we need to realize as we think about technology being a good gift from God, that we can use it in good ways or we can use it 
in bad ways. And how we use technology is always an act of worship. We are either using it in ways that bring honor and glory to the one true God, the creator of the universe, the one who has called us to come and follow in every minute, every square inch, every second of our lives, including those maybe nine hours and 15 minutes a day that we're engaged with this, or perhaps shifting our time use to other more profitable endeavors, or we are engaged in worshiping the enemy, the one who has come to undo God's good design and plan for us that actually undermines our human flourishing and diminishes who we are called to be as human beings. All use of technology is always an act of worship. And so I would challenge you to think of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. I don't think Paul was thinking about our smartphones when he wrote this, but Paul was certainly thinking about every endeavor of life. And every endeavor of life now includes eating, drinking, doing anything, including engaging with technology, doing it for the glory of God. Oh, I'll ask you this. If Jesus, and I say this to the adults and to the young people as well, I want you to think about this, not just now with me, but continue to think about this because technology will continue to develop. We are just on the front end of things that we can't even imagine will blossom and grow into new technologies that five, ten years from now, if we come together again in this room, we'll be using in our lives. If Jesus is truly the Lord over all, and we're called to find seven, what does that mean for our time spent with social media and technology? So let me ask you this. This is where I want to get very practical, and I've been asked this morning to share with you some ways to engage with media and technology, particularly social media, in ways that bring honor and glory to God and in ways that model kingdom of God living. Understanding the times and knowing what the followers of Jesus should do. So as I, I start to walk you through these things, let's begin with this. And I don't want you to raise your hand and tell me what you've done, but I just want you to think young or old. And I know some of us here don't engage with social media. I would guess most of us do. Those of you who are older who have chosen not to engage with these things or you're still trying to figure out how to open your flip phone, that's okay. That's okay. These are the kinds of lessons that you can communicate to your grandchildren and to your own children. Reality is we never stop parenting. I'm realizing that now that I'm a grandparent. And it's a joy to be able to speak truth into the lives of my grandkids in opposition, perhaps, to the cultural narrative with truth from the biblical narrative. So think and evaluate, what are the last five things that you posted on social media? And as we walk through this, I want you to evaluate those posts based on what I'm with you and think about how to use social media redemptively and to the honor and glory of God. Remember, technology is a good gift from God. We just need to use it in the right way. So I'm going to share with you some things that I share with youth workers, I share with parents wherever I go, and I share with students as well. The first is this. I'm going to give you some personal guidelines that you can instill in your life, some great reminders, some borders and boundaries 
that I think are helpful based on maybe mistakes we've made over the years and then also based on things that people write. The first is this, and it's so negative, but there's a reason why I'm going to share this with you first because we've got to understand something about ourselves. I say it this way, we're just one bad decision away from being a headline. The reality is that Jesus came into the world to save us from our brokenness, to save us from our sin. We understand that. But the reality is also that as redeemed people and followers of Jesus Christ who have been made new in Jesus Christ, who find our identity in Christ, we continue, as Apostle Paul said, over and over and over again, to struggle with the sin that's within. In this in-between time of having come to faith and now waiting for that final day that we read about at the end of the book of Revelation where all things will be made new and the new heaven and the new earth comes in, theologians call that the time of restoration. In the meantime, we struggle, as the Apostle Paul so clearly said and, and, and talked about his own life with our brokenness and sin. And just as, this means that just as, this can be a wonderful place for us to bring honor and glory to God. It can also be a very easy place for us to indulge our sinful nature. A few years ago, I was asked at one of the youth conventions, Pastor was talking about, he, we were talking earlier about uh, the National Youth Workers Convention, and every year when I would go back to speak, they would ask me, you know, what do you want to speak on? And uh, one year they said to me, uh, you're getting older, would you do a seminar for young youth workers? We'll call it Wisdom for a Young Youth Worker. And I thought, okay, I'll do that. So I started to think through what were the things that I wished uh, older youth workers had told me or someone had told me when I was older. And I thought about, you know, knowing the times and what youth workers should do and how to bring glory to God. And at the end of putting this seminar together, the one thing I had to do was complete my PowerPoint presentation. So I had everything together except for the title slide. And when I went to put the title slide together, Wisdom for a Young Youth Worker, I thought, I need a picture. And so I just went online. This is what we do, right? I Googled youth worker. Or I Googled youth pastor, actually. And what came up was stunning to me. What I saw on the screen, and I blurred this out, what I saw on the screen made me sit with my jaw dropped. Not in judgment, but in self-evaluation because about a third to a half of the photographs that came up when I Google image searched youth pastor were mug shots of my peers in youth ministry, most of whom had gotten themselves in trouble by indulging their sinful nature through this. It was stunning to me. And as I walked away from that, I thought some of the best wisdom maybe I could give is watch out for yourself. Know your brokenness. Know that your default setting is to, to do everything in life to your own glory rather than to the glory of God, to indulge your sinful nature. So remember, you are a sinful human being who should never say, I would never do that. That led me to some deep introspection and continues to do that as I engage with social media and technology myself. How about this one? How about you do this today when you go home? Everybody in your family, boy, this is dangerous. To go home and ask the question, do I have a problem? 
Now, uh, granted, we all have lots of problems. Limit it to social media and technology today, because you want to be able to have an interchange based on what we've talked about here. But as you ask this question, be ready for whatever the answer is. Because if you're a husband in this room, and you say to your spouse, I have a problem with social media and technology, and your wife says to you, yes, you do, this is not an occasion to argue, because perception is reality. If you are spending too much time buried in your screen, or your kids say to you, you're spending too much time buried in your screen, don't argue. You're spending too much time. And the reason they might say that is because you're shortchanging them on the real flesh and blood relationships that God has created us for. So, you to ask the question as well. Listen to your parents. You know, they, I say this to parents all the time, and when I'm with the parents tonight, I'll talk about you know, the need to think with your high schoolers, to think with your middle schoolers, to think for your elementary schoolers, to set borders and boundaries and sometimes say no. And this is how we engage them in ways that will encourage them and train them to flourish as they get older. I would also say to you, as you engage with social media and technology, to enlist the gift of accountability. Enlist the gift of accountability. Just look around this room here. For the men, I'll speak for the men. Men, we need accountability because our default setting is to do the wrong thing. We just had a conversation last week with a group of youth workers about the issue of online pornography. The statistics are off the charts for all men. And all men have an inclination to move towards this. And one of the greatest gifts we have is each other. And by the way, it's not just men, it's women and girls as well. And what we need to do is engage with each other and confess our vulnerabilities and enlist the gift of accountability as we engage with social media. And certainly this can be with the way we post, not just with issues of sexual brokenness online, but the way we post or how often we post or the kinds of things we post. Watch out for each other. That's a great way for the body of Christ to engage with each other. You also need to realize that when you put something out on the internet, it's there forever. And it's there for the whole world to see. The whole world is watching. Now let me issue this warning as a follower of Christ. You don't want to not post the wrong thing simply to look good. You want your actions, and this is the same with our students, not to flow out of a standard that's just behavioral conformity, but out of a changed heart that is being conformed to the image of Christ that desires to bring honor and glory to God. I hope that makes sense. Pray for that, that your motivations for what you post would not be driven by external borders and boundaries, but that God would be working in you and through you to conform you more to the image of himself so that you are posting in ways that bring honor and glory to God. How about this? Every time before you post something. And students, I can't stress this enough for you. Every time you post something, take what we would call a purposeful pause. Proverbs tells us this. Do you see a man or woman who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Or how about this from Proverbs 10:19? When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. 
The warning there is simply to stop and think. And this little device here encourages spontaneity, void of stopping and thinking and being thoughtful in ways that are incredibly destructive. And I think we all know how that works. Let me give you some, some, some guidelines here on how to engage with this purposeful pause. First, decide whether or not you're going to post what you're going to post. Now, this is not original with me, but I have found Alan Jacobs, who's from Baylor University, to be really helpful on this. Alan Jacobs talked about this, and I'll rifle through this quickly for you. He says this, I don't have to say something just because everyone around me is. We've all felt that pressure, right? I don't want to be lost. You know, teenagers, it's probably about 80 to 90 percent of teenagers who have smartphones sleep with their phones. And you know one of the reasons why they sleep with their phones, they say, is because I don't want to miss anything. Well, sometimes it's the same thing with us as adults, not that we're sleeping with our phones, but we see everybody else posting things, and we don't want to be left out. But the great wisdom, usually, is to just remain silent. I don't have to speak, Alan Jacobs says, about things I know little or nothing about. That's some of the best advice you can receive. In today's world, we are prompted to, to chime in on things that we know nothing about. This is one reason why I, I, I stay away from political posts. There are other reasons as well. But typically, we don't know everything. I don't have to about speak about issues that will be totally forgotten in a few weeks or months by the people who at this moment are most strenuously demanding a response. Another great bit of advice. How about this? I don't have to spend my time in environments that press me to speak without knowledge. One of our rules is don't open your mouth unless you know what you're talking about. If I can bring to an issue heat but no light, it is probably best that I remain silent. Private communication can be more valuable than public. And I can't tell you how many times I've taken a conversation that I never should have engaged in on Facebook offline or on, on Instagram or on Twitter or somewhere else offline into face-to-face -face communication. It's so helpful. Delayed communication, when people have had time to think and to calm their emotions, is almost always more valuable than immediate reaction. And then finally, some conversations are more meaningful and effective in living rooms or at dinner tables than in the middle of Main Street. Decide whether or not you're going to post. Now, those are from Alan Jacobs. Let me give you some borders and boundaries that have worked for me. I don't always do this well, but this flows out of a desire to use social media as an act of worship and see my engagement with social media as an act of worship. I ask these questions. Does this matter? I'm going to tell you right now about 95% of what we post is automatically eliminated just by asking this question. Does this matter? What this means is that there's not a single person in this room who would follow this directive who will ever again post a plate of food on social media. It just doesn't matter. How about this? We talked in the Sunday School Hour this morning about how in our selfie culture, we try to measure up to everyone else's expectations for us. We don't want to be seen as less than. We don't want our children to be seen as less than. 
There is tremendous pressure on moms and dads in this room as you live in a, a community of other parents who are always jockeying and putting their kids out there and showing their kids accomplishments and their achievements. There's always that pressure where you feel like you're being left behind. And then what we do, as we talked about this morning, we fabricate, we curate, we promote, and we don't put ourselves or our kids out there with honesty. I think the best thing is to either be honest or don't post anything at all. And this is where I believe we have to ask this question. Is what I'm putting out there, because I need to tell the truth, God has called me to tell the truth, is what I'm putting out there a faithful and truthful representation of me and my family, or is it a fabricated lie? Is this useful to others? The scriptures talk about the body of Christ and sharing things that build others up and sharing things that are good, true, right, honorable, and the word useful is used. Is this going to be useful to others in building them up in the body of Christ? Does this promote what I'm about to put up? Does this promote, reflect kingdom of God living and human flourishing? In other words, being the human beings that God has called us to be. Or, as we talk about all use of technology and social media as being an act of worship, is this promoting and reflecting the kingdoms of the world, the flesh, and the devil? And is it undermining human flourishing? Now you know the motivation. If you look deep inside and ask God to help you with this, you'll know the motivation for why you post what you post. And this question for me is one that's very important. Does this glorify God? Or is my intent here to glorify me? Does this glorify God? Or does this glorify me? And then finally, just ask this question. Come on. Am I really this? I'm going to tell you that we waste incredible amounts of time. We waste incredible amounts of time on social media. You saw the statistics when I began. And you saw that as we waste these incredible amounts of time, we're taking time away from the kinds of things that we should be spending time with. As you think about using social media to the glory of God, I want to share with you one conversation I had over 30 years ago with a young person before the advent of social media. I've been thinking a lot. In two and a half weeks, we're celebrating with our donors coming together up in Pennsylvania 30 years of our ministry with CPYU. And that night is remember. I can't remember most everything that's happened over the course of the last 30 years with CPYU. But I'm trying to remember some of the most significant conversations that have shaped how I think about my own life, how I think about ministry, how I think about what we do at CPYU, and even how I think about how I relate to my wife, to my children, and to my grandchildren. And one came to mind this week that I'll end with here because I think it relates to what we're talking about. I was with my youth group. It was back in Philadelphia. We were outside in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and one night we had had small groups. They've done this here. Stroh's done this where you do small groups, and yeah, I don't know. We had 40 high school kids together, and so we divided up in small groups, and before we got to the topic of the night, which I have long since forgotten that we wanted them to talk about the small group, I gave them a little discussion starter, a little, you know, break down the walls of communication to set the table for some openness. And 
So I asked them this question. I said, hey, before we get into the meat of this, here's our discussion question to get us started. Icebreaker, I guess we used to call those. If you, had the, uh, if you knew the world was going to end in five minutes, and you had the opportunity to say one thing to one person, what would you say and who would you say it to? And so I started to go around and listen to these answers. And in typical fashion, the guys in my group were trying to one-up each other, make the girls laugh. I mean, there was nothing really deep, significant. It was serving well as an icebreaker. And I went over by this one group, and there was a young girl there. Her name was Alexa. And Alexa was rather new to our group. I didn't, well, I knew she was in ninth grade. I had learned enough about her that she was very bright. She was actually ranked her high school class. She'd had the lead in the school play. Uh, she was involved in all, she was an overachiever in every possible way. And when it came Alexa's turn, she looked down, she thought for a minute, she said this. I had the opportunity to say one to one person, knowing that the world was going to end in five minutes, I would walk right up to my dad. By the way, she was an only child. I would walk up to my dad and I would look him in the eye and I would point at his face, and I would say to him, Dad, you missed it. You missed it. Everybody would. It's a moment of silence, and we went to the next guy, and afterwards I was sure to find her, and I said, Alexa, I heard what you said. What's going on? She said, well, you know, um, I'm doing well in school. I have a lead in the school play. I'm involved in all these activities. I really think I'm the kind of girl that a dad would be proud of, but he comes home from work, he sits in his chair, he gets his newspaper out, he buries his face in his newspaper, he watches the television, he doesn't talk to his mom, he doesn't talk to me as far as I'm concerned. He's missed it. He's missed it. I thought about that this week because I've been thinking about technology. And I thought about how that conversation motivated me to challenge parents 30 years ago to get involved in the lives of their kids, to lead kids to the truths of the gospel, to promote the truths of the gospel, to model the truths of the gospel, to spend quality time and quantity time. Back in those days, we were reading statistics about how families were falling apart and they weren't spending time together. Well, as I thought about that, remembered that, I hadn't thought of that conversation for a long time, I started to think about this. And I started to think about how this has undermined the flourishing of families and the relationships that God intends us to have with each other. And then I started to think not just about our human relationships, but my relationship with my Heavenly Father and how this distraction can keep me away from the kind of intimate communion that He's called me to with. And so I challenge you this. Technology is a good gift. It's a great gift. But be like the men of Issachar. Understand the times. Know what the church should do. Know what you should do. And know how to bring honor and glory to God through your use of this good gift. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the living word, the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, who has come as our Redeemer, and we're grateful for the new life that is ours, that we share here. Father, I ask that you would help us to see that our relationship with you through Jesus is not just one that leads to salvation, 
but one that leads to living a life that 24-7 is to be lived in endeavoring to bring honor and glory to you. Help us to navigate this new world of technology. Help us to make decisions that lead to bringing honor and glory to you and your kingdom. And we pray for our children as well, that they would flourish and use technology in ways, again, that are worshipful as they follow you. Help each of us in this room as adults to be signposts pointing the way to doing these things correctly, not so we draw attention to ourselves, but that we point our children and our teens to the cross. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.